there everyone this is editing lady kira here on to number one thank all of you for the listens uh i just saw we had a couple new listeners on the rogue one episode thank you so much for the listens um and number two i forgot to keep the bit up well i forgot to do the bit at all actually my sister would like me to instead of saying coruscant say croissant so i'll make it the title of the video (laughs) and i'll um i'll I'll do it now so yeah today we're going to croissant uh and we can get back to podcast kira now peace out Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Lady Kira's Galactic Adventure, where we traverse the universe in our Corellian Corvette cruiser, the Vindicator. Today we have a very important and very special journey in store, because if you look out your nearest viewpoint, you can see that we have indeed arrived in Coruscanti's space. Last time, there was some kind of vergence in the Force, so we had to take a break off from our regularly scheduled program to explore the rebels who shaped our history in Rogue One, a Star Wars story, in honor of Andor dropping on Disney Plus on September the 21st. This week's journey is going to be a long one, uh, so make sure you have your seatbelts fastened, your Jawa juice at the ready, and the thirst to defy the council. This week on Lady Kira's Galactic Adventure. Let's get into the bare bones right off the bat. Coruscant is an ecumenopolis, a term I discussed in my first ever episode about the Bis hyperspace tract, more specifically the planet of Empress Teta, which is an example of one. Ecumenopolis means city planet, as in the whole planet is a giant city, as explained by Rick Ollier, the exposition pilot from episode 1, The Phantom Menace. This planet is located in the Coruscant system, revolving around the sun Coruscant Prime. Coruscant also has four moons, Centax 1, Centax 2, Centax 3, I know original, and Hesperidium, and it's located at L9 in the Galactic Grid. It is the Coruscanti cycle which gives us our standard set of hours and days, of 24 standard hours per day and 365 standard days per year, like this planet you may have heard of called Earth, but like, more city. The atmosphere of Coruscant is breathable, the climate is temperate and now artificial, and Coruscant itself acts as the biggest melting pot in the Star Wars galaxy, with thousands of languages spoken, thousands of species living here, and a variety of religions all taking up residence, such as the Jedi Order, the Dai Bendu, the Sith Order, as well as governments that would shape it over time, like the Galactic Republic, the Galactic Empire, the New Republic, and the First Order. There isn't much on the Coruscant system itself in canon. Except that it is the in the Coruska, 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 Coruska sector of the core worlds and was blockaded by the Imperial Security Bureau, the ISB, after the Battle of Endor. Not to mention the many hyperspace lanes that branch off of it, which is includes but is not limited to the Corellian Run, which connects Coruscant to Anawat, the Metellus Trade Route, which in Legends branches from Coruscant to Urutudu near the Cornicot Cluster. The Namari Corridor, a trade route that intersects the Corellian Run and the Perlemian Trade Route. The Nexus Route, which extended between the Galactic Republic and the Confederacy of Independent Systems, the Separatist Space. 
and was located by Jedi Master Ibn Peel, may the force be with him, and <laughs> Lilith Tarkin, uh, during the Citadel arc during the Clone Wars animated series, and the Perlemian trade route, a super hyper route which included Felucia and Tanab while connecting Coruscant and Karkons, which is why most of the early seasons of Clone Wars all led back to Felucia, which also happened to be where Honda Wanafa and his merry gang of pirates set up shop, but I digress. Hopping on over to Legends, the Coruscant system, later called the Imperial System, consisted of 11 planets. Fun fact time, the outlying moons of this system were used for storage of garbage canisters transported there from Coruscant. Clone troopers were trained on one of the system's inner worlds, Vandor 3, and smuggling spice into the Coruscant system was considered a capital offense. The sun of this system, as I mentioned before, is called Coruscant Prime, and in canon, it is a tiny blue-white B-class main sequence star located in the Coruscant system. That's literally it. Uh, the planet of Coruscant orbited relatively far from it, varying from about 207 million to 251 million clicks or kilometers. From Coruscant Prime, we then have the first planet in its orbit, Reviz, or Revise, Reviz, I think that's Reviz, um, which has a molten surface, and that's literally all we have on it. Then we have Platteril, which is supposedly barren, uh, then Vandor 1, which is cold, rocky, and barren, and then Vandor 2, which is the same as Vandor 1, which is with a different number, which is a convoluted way to say cold, rocky, and barren, and also then we have Vandor 3, which has a bit of information on it, so we're going to stop here for a quick minute to discuss its history. Vandor 3 was a terrestrial planet covered in oceans and jungles. One ocean in particular, the Tanthan Ocean, dominated the surface of the planet, and the southern part of the main continent often got flooded with large tidal waves which were formed by severe sea quakes from a small chain of volcanoes just to the south. There was a small population on Vandor 3, with rather small cities centered around petroleum plants. In the year 43 BBY, the Tech Raiders, or as I like to call them, Bad Boy Robin Hoods, moved their base to this planet, perhaps to better steal from Coruscant. More importantly, Vandor 3 served as a training ground for clone troopers during the Clone Wars in Legends, of course, which is fitting, because Oceans and Kamino kind of, Kaminoans kind of go hand in hand. No homesickness is allowed in the Grand Army of the Republic. For the training grounds, a barracks was constructed on the capital's outskirts that could hold 50,000 troopers, and one particular exercise involved facing the Selenome, a marine colony creature akin to predatory coral reefs which resembled an immense cluster of rocks on the ocean floor, but were actually beasts with hundreds of tentacles covered in toothed suckers that could regenerate itself, and whose only main threat was starvation. Selenome band name called it. I think that brings us to eight. Vandor 3, like many of the core worlds, would later become part of the Galactic Empire following Order 66, but would join the New Republic shortly after the Battle of Endor. Okay, Vandor 3 was the fifth planet in the Coruscant system, so Coruscant is sixth, but we'll be getting into it after we discuss everything that's not as cool as it. So seventh in line is Muscave, Muscav, Muscave, Muscave. Uh, one of two gas giants in the system with a whopping 21 moons, and that's literally all we know about it. Eighth in line is Stentat, the other gas giant in the system with 23 moons. Like, dude, that's a lot of moons, man. Just imagine the planetary reunion party. Like, oh my god, is that Muske? Muscov? Muscave? I heard they have 21 moons. Oh my god, Stentat, how are the 23 moons coming along? Literally, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
Uh, at slot 9, we have Improco, not to be confused with You Go, Glen Coco, an icy planet with one moon cleverly named the Frozen Moon of Improco. Whoever named that moon is probably the same person who decided on the name for the New Republic. Or whatever clever thing I think I said two episodes ago, which you should definitely go listen to. After Improco is an asteroid belt named the Covey. The Covey? The Covey? The Covey? Which could be a band name, I guess. I'll give it a ding on the counter anyways. So that's like nine, I think. On the other side of the Covey is Nabatu, which kind of sounds like not Batu, yet another barren planet. Like, I was gonna make a fertility joke, but the little people in my head voted against it. Okay, next is Ulabas. Yet another barren planet with no maidens. I mean, moons. <laughs> with a name like that, who's surprised? Okay, past Ulabos. There is a cluster of comets called the Oborin Comet Cluster, which is apparently thought to be named after Oborin, the imperial sentientologist of the same name. Okay, with the system out of the way, Let's cover the four moons of Coruscant before we dig into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which will probably take us a literal hour. Syntax 1 was the primary moon of Coruscant, and in canon, the standard month was based on the Sizgi, Sizigi, Sizigi of Syntax 1. I have no idea how to pronounce that. And it's spelled S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. -Y. Uh, and the day, Syntax Day, was named after it. Syntax Day was the second of the five days in the Galactic Standards Calendars Week, just for the record. In Legends, Syntax 1 acted as a penal world for Coruscanti prisoners after the Alsakan conflicts, which are really dense and we'll have to do an episode about one day when we get to Alsakan, which is pretty close to Coruscant, so probably soon. Um, which basically was a series of 17 wars waged in the expansion region over a period of 14,000 years. During the Clone Wars in Legends, uh, the moon acted as a military staging base with a garrison 20,000 troopers, where Syntax-class heavy freighters were outfitted for war. These ships were armed with 10 batteries of laser cannons, and at least one vessel, called the Ranger, was also furnished with two batteries of MG-1A proton torpedo launchers. This class of starship was known to be exceptionally fast considering its massive size. Next up, we have Syntax-2, which in canon is literally just regarded as one of Coruscant's moons. In Legends, Syntax 2 is regarded as being a sterile moon that was also the location of Supreme Chancellor Palpatine's secret clone trooper army. By the time of the blockade of Corellia in 40 ABY, it hosted a Galactic Alliance Starfighter training squadron base, that is so many words, and was used by the New Jedi Order as a training facility, which is ironic because literally before the Civil War, the Senate refused to build a Jedi Starfighter base on the moon. Okay. Next up, Syntax 3, or Syntax 3 with a dash, and nicknamed the Ant, <laughs> was the third of four moons orbiting the planet Coruscant, which was home to rocky islands and vast oceans. Interestingly, the headquarters of the Coalition for Progress, the Galactic Empire's propaganda division, was located here. And finally, we have the fourth and final moon of Coruscant, Hesperidium. It shared its name with the Hesperidium Strait, a section of the Dragonfire Circuit airspeeder racecourse on Coruscant. In Legends, Hesperidium was a luxurious resort moon that orbited Coruscant, which apparently Palpatine loved, according to Mara Jade. Palpatine was not, only, was not the only one who loved this place, though, as many New Republic diplomats stayed on Hesperidium during their travels to the Coruscant system. During the Second Galactic Civil War, which we gotta do an episode about, um, the Hesperidium Resort was still in operation, though with less clientele spending money on travel and more on rebuilding their lives. With the moons and the rest of the system out of the way, 
Let's get on to the main attraction, Coruscant. Uh, we're gonna start by hopping in the Wayback Machine and moving forward in time from there. And when I say way back, I mean way back. In its earliest recorded history, Coruscant was populated by two species, the Tong and the Zell, which, of course, we're about to talk about. This this is me we're talking about. This is Lady Kira's galactic adventure. Okay. <laughs> the Tong, in canon, were an ancient sentient species native to Coruscant, to which the day Tong's Day is named after. The Beskad, an ancient Mandalorian sword forged by Beskar to a tapered point, was based on a Tong design. The Beskad was specifically designed to cut through armor and kind of looks like a really long chef's knife, or a machete for reference, and was apparently wielded by Clan Wren. Fun fact, there was an organization at the University of Coruscant known as the Tong and Zell Society, but there's literally no reference about what their entire purpose was, so don't know how helpful that is. <laughs> the Tong in Legends, and I think someone in canon, but it just hasn't been properly canonized because no one's ever made Star Wars canon, the, like visual media that's gone back this far, um, were the precursors to the Mandalorians as we know them today. They were tall, gray-skinned, almost lizard-like people with rounded lines across their skull, which confirms that lizard people run the government, so therefore Bo-Katan Kreese is a lizard person, but my boy Din Djarin is not because he's a foundling, ha ha ha. I have problems with her, and we'll talk about that when we cover the story about the Darksaber. Um, we're getting there. We're, get we're, we're getting there, except that Mandalore's in the Outer Rim. Okay, they were bipedal, meaning that they could walk upright on two legs with yellow eyes and were apparently really, really strong. They had five fingers on each hand that ended in really sharp claws, better for killing one's opponent, I suppose, since their society, much like the Mandalorians as we know them today, were heavily rooted in warfare. Something I find interesting is how, as a society, they aged or were viewed as aging. Lutong were considered children until the age of six, they were adults by 13, they reached middle age between 46 and 64, and were considered elderly from that point on, where they would live on average until 85. Also, they could be Force-sensitive, but there was no Jedi Order at the time, or any other major Force-sensitive religion, but there was hyperspace travel, apparently, and we're about to get into that. Just... Just give me a second. <laughs> so basically... <laughs> <laughs> the Tong and Zell were at war for hundreds of years, and at some point during those hundreds of years, a volcano on Coruscant erupted and nearly annihilated the Zell, resulting in a dark cloud settling over the planet. And due to this shadow and the darkness it resulted in, the Tong began to refer to themselves as, quote, the Warriors of the Shadow, or the Werda Verda, to which an epic poem was titled, uh, which detailed this encounter. And I don't mean like epic you, I mean like an epic, like, like the Odyssey. And I'm gonna read it to you in the Tong language, which is an archaic form of Mandoa, and then in the English, the, the basic translation. Um, yeah, let, let's just do it. Buten wuten lanak wuten, ala sinke dunken putin akta verda verda roll, punka dunke lotin cho. Liber sung war tang takpita, maner maner mikta rita. Sekelakt war tum soing pahagruten, Gersh vedala funken mimpa droit, to grumpen went cab sunken. Betelung sik da mindikuten, Parta blacks da skunken drasen, Maner maner, mitelus maner, 
Dada's Jadok, La Zuland of Letsa, Bonunum, Maner Maner, Dushpring Noka, Imir Hok, Gewordenspa, Zetu Fempuf, Ulafka Begoneshpa, Var Vargu Piniski, Von Molgulait Gorotspa, Verto Verto, Taplatsko Taverto, Vum Zumenfest, Vava Vumenfest, Skupka Loka Atastatan, Skelta Nuben Drestu Common, Morskuberts, Cafe Cafe, Zum da Cafe, Ospro Mopis Maner Moka, Sistrung Tartung, Tastrung Tartung, Woka Lixcat Obrentros, Hung Klaus das Spricken, Impotka Kunginchok, Kunga. No plenkat, kungar kungar, ale de kungare. You can kind of see the Mandela influence in it if you know any Mandela words. Uh, it's it's really cool. And this original version comes from the Shadows of the Empire soundtrack and is attributed to Ben Burt. And now here is the translation in basic, or English as we know it. And so upon his pyre burned the doom of Umara. And the warrior bands stood as ragged as bandits in zigzag lines of mourning. With the dawn, the flat-faced Zell would come, cackling and howling, oozing mirth and tricks, and find the shade of doom departed and the tongs unprotected. And so, with the dawn, would be would our woe be revealed? Our once bright armaments would become stacked grave goods, trophies for drill, for Zell children. Our flesh would become smoke given to uncaring gods, and the sky would forget our names. With death upon the Rexu- with death upon him, Rexutu, the unconquerable, prepared to be stripped of all by his enemy, but vowed that his honor would be the last to be torn away. And so the unconquerable gathered in his kinsmen and his oath girdlings alike. They polished their fearsome helms, that they might flash even in the week of sun of Notron. They rewrapped the hilts of their weapons and pounded straight the shafts, that they might slake their thirst in Zel Igor a final time. Assembled, they ascended, in taut tong lines to the high place where the reaver had staked his standard before it was cast down into the mire. They gazed out over the gathering places and walking ways of great Zell, where they scaled peak and cradled valley. The lines of lights were ordering the night. They unfurled the tong banner, reversed, a reckless thing snapping in the dark, awaiting Zell eyes. And they performed ceremonies of leave-taking, for now they had died to the world and must be remade among the stars. When the dawn came, the Zell awakened and saw the tongs upon the high place and were afraid, for the morning light caught the glint of helms and weapons and created phantom warriors made of dazzle and distance. But the cleverest of them were not deceived, and saw how few we were. And so they assembled without haste, merry in mockery, and prepared to march. And in the high place we awaited death. But then came a shaking of the ground, and the sun's wan light was eclipsed by a bright and terrible fire that exploded from the rock. The patterns of great cell shivered and broke, and after this came darkness, as the very air turned to black ash. The cell fell on their faces in terror, and from the high place we ran in haste to meet them, and we were cloaked in shadow. The Maker had come to unmake, 
and the tongs would be his instruments. This version is from the Essential Guide to Warfare and is attributed to Jason Fry and Paul R. Urquhart. Um, which, this is very interesting because <laughs> apparently the high place is an ancestral home for the people of Coruscant. <clears throat> Obi-Wan Kenobi. Even after almost going extinct, the Zell still managed to drive the Tong out of Coruscant and somehow, some way, the Tong found themselves on the planet Rune in the Outer Rim. This is why I was questioning why hyperspace travel is... I don't understand, man. It's Star Wars. <laughs> they would remain here for a millennium until Mandalore the First would lead his people to conquer a new world named in his honor. And uh, I wonder what it could be. I wonder what it what it, what it is. You know, after conquering Mandalore, <clears throat> the Tong people began to refer to themselves as the Mandoare, or the Mandalorians. Hinted not uh, Their society is really complex. They were a nomadic, clan-based people who honored their warriors with the deepest of respect. Their veterans would usually become chieftains and act as the leaders of their clans who answered only to the Mandalore, or sole ruler, of all the Mandalorian clans. These Mandalorians favored pragmatism, ruthlessness, loyalty to one's clan, and to the Mandalore, and had some rather bland naming practices. Like, some common names at the time were Atin, meaning persistent, Kot meaning strength, and Tor meaning justice. Let's just say that these early Mandalorians would get along well with Drax the Destroyer's people from Marvel with their whole all-business, no-metaphor thing. That whole war-centric society vibe led to a religious warrior society, and to all of my American listeners out there, you know exactly how dangerous that could be. They had elaborate laws and codes of honor to which they were originally waging war to honor their god, Kadharangir. Uh, and also to ensure that they didn't fall victim to the temptations of the seductive god Adasum. Over time, as leadership changed, the Mandalorians began to believe that they needed to wage war to be divine themselves and not to appease a deity, which led to severe blood duels to the death, which kind of explains the whole Darksaber situation now, if I'm being honest. It's these Tong Mandalorians that also started the armor tradition, or their helmets or their war masks were forged in the image of the Tong people, which explains the T-shaped visor to better fit, fit their face, um, as well as the slanted side, the slightly pointed chins, the whole shebang. If you find this interesting, you should wait until we get to Mandalore in five years when I intend on doing an intense deep dive into Mandalorian culture and clans and armor, and if the armorer from the Mandalorian is a member of the Death Watch and one of Maul's personal guards, listen, I'm onto you, lady. I respect you, but I'm onto you. Back to Coruscant, though. Let's talk a little bit about the Zell, to which there is not nearly as much information in either canon or in Legends. The Zell and canon were a sentient species to which Zelday originates, and that is literally all that's listed in canon besides that university organization. So, two sentences. We love that. In Legends, the Zell were indigenous to Coruscant, and some historians believe them to be the direct ancestors of two humans in the Star Wars universe. There were 13 nations of Zell, whatever the frick that means, <laughs> that when combined militarily were known as the Battalions of Zell. These Battalions of Zell, also known as the Notron, that was listed in the, the epic poem, waged the war on the Tong, and were almost wiped out by the volcano which gave the Tong their namesake, as well as that poem, and that's, <laughs> that's literally all we know. Regardless of 
Whether or not the Zell were the earliest forms of humans in this universe, Coruscant is unanimously decided to be the homeworld of the human species, and as humans expanded and began colonizing other planets, Coruscant would remain central to all galactic life. Coruscant was one of the Galactic Republic's original core world founders, and outmaneuvered its early rivals to become the economic and cultural engine of a civilization. How did they do this, you might be asking? by using newly discovered hyperspace lanes to their advantage, connecting themselves to the larger growing intergalactic economy by making Coruscant either the starting or stopping point to research rich worlds. This economic success accelerated the construction of new residential levels and sectors for the city world's booming population, reaching the trillions by modern day. Coruscant's status as the center of the Republic led it to being awarded the coordinate 000 on all standard navigational charts, not to mention its orbit being used to develop the standard day cycle for the entire galaxy. An ancient group of Sith Lords had built a temple here during the times of the Old Republic, and after the Jedi victory at the Jedi-Sith Wars, a Jedi temple was built over top of it, leading to the birth-slash-golden age of the modern Republic. Due to this golden age, immigrants came to Coruscant seeking a new and more successful life but were usually forced to take on low-level positions and subjugated to a life of crime and violence because Coruscant is just really big Manhattan, okay? <laughs> you know, it's due to this prowess that it has been universally acknowledged that whoever controls Coruscant controls the galaxy due to its economic position and the opportunities that it gives. The Galactic Senate and its thousands of senators helped to emphasize diplomacy and dispute resolutions, creating and enforcing laws and maintaining peace. But this peace would not last forever. <coughs> Excuse me, I am sick. It was towards the end of the Republic era that the Sith Lord Dark City Dark Darth Sidious executed his plans for galactic domination, beginning with the blockade of Naboo, his homeworld that he represented as Senator Sheev Palpatine. As the events of this blockade play out and Queen Amidala is tricked into asking for a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum, Chief Palpatine, a senator of Naboo, would become the Supreme Chancellor of the Galactic Senate, and after the Battle of Naboo, due to Qui-Gon Jinn's dying wishes, the Jedi Council Asta unwillingly taken Anakin Skywalker, the Chosen One, as a Padawan learner under now Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. If this story isn't familiar to you, then I recommend watching episode 1, The Phantom Menace. If you haven't, or you haven't watched it in a while, or for whatever reason, the movie might be not be great, but what happens in it is vital to the Star Wars story regardless. And it's better than the cringy, stalkerish dialogue of Attack of the Clones. Like, I don't want to get into too much movie stuff, because I really do want to save that for when I do dedicated episodes about them and all of their problems, so pardon my phone, so I'll just give a general synopsis of what I need to explain the story of Coruscant. Ten years after the events of episode two is when Attack of the Clones takes place. Uh, so, and during this opening crawl, it's mentioned that the Galactic Senate is currently undergoing debates about the creation of a Grand Army of the Republic to aid the struggling Jedi Knights whose vision through the Force is getting more and more clouded. Senator Padme Amidala of Naboo is leading the opposition against this movement, and due to some major cards drawn by Palpatine, he glues Padme to now 19-year-old horny Anakin Skywalker, who is literally obsessed with her to the point where it is seriously concerning. 
since the two of them are, quote, falling in love or whatever, or what, what I think is a manipulation of the force on the part of either Anakin unwilli- unknowingly, unwillingly, or Palpatine very willingly, um, not to mention Master Obi-Wan Kenobi's finding of an entire clone army being created in secret on the planet Kamino in the Outer Rim, Palpatine hosts an emergency senate meeting on Coruscant without Padme there, which allows for the clone army to be utilized immediately, leading to the beginning of the Clone Wars on Geonosis and 22 BBY. Even prior to the beginning of the war, changes could be seen in the Republic. The Senate was already corrupt and bloated, and found it difficult to respond, delegating emergency powers to Palpatine. The Chancellor himself brought changes such as implementing the uses of his own personal Red Guards instead of the Senate Guards. During the Clone Wars, the Coruscant Guard was formed to serve as a clone security force for the Republic capital composed of elite clone shock troopers that were supposedly created in secret on planet, the Coruscant Guard was led by clone commander CC-1010, Fox. As the Grand Army and the Republic Navy spread across the galaxy to defend the Republic, the Jedi, long taking the stance as peacekeepers instead of soldiers, led the clone troopers as commanders and generals. The dramatic changes were noted by the Jedi and the Republic citizens alike, specifically on Coruscant where major riots would break out and protests were rampant due to Chancellor Palpatine's incredible propaganda campaign. Unknown to everyone except a select few, Coruscant was far from where was actually <clears throat> where the entire war was being manipulated by Palpatine. As the Supreme Chancellor, he took overall charge of the Republic military and directed them from his office, but in his secret little office stuff on the side, he was being Mr. Sidious and, you know, commandeering Dooku and Greedus and all of the other generals on the Separatist side of the war. He played both sides like a fiddle until the day the Republic fell, and there was no longer two sides, only one, his side, the Empire. Public opinion towards the end of the war, as represented by the citizens of Coruscant, began to turn against the Jedi. Protesters would gather in front of the temple, blaming the Jedi for the military losses and their loss of perspective as keepers of the peace. It was at that time that an explosion occurred at the Jedi Temple docking complex that killed six Jedi and several clone troopers and temple employees. The investigation by Crime Sea Analyst Droid Russo ISC and Jedi Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano found that Leta Termond, the wife of Temple employee Jakar Bomani, had fed him volatile nanodroids which then exploded, killing Bomani and causing the bombing of the temple. Termond was arrested, held at the Republic Center for Military Operations, but it also turns out <laughs> that uh, this is all orchestrated by Bearers Offi. I'm one of Ahsoka's friends and Padawan to Master Luminara Unduli, um, who had turned to the dark side and blamed it all on Ahsoka so she could get away free. And I really recommend watching the Padawan Lost Ark. Um, if you really, if you're a person who got into Star Wars rather recently, or you didn't watch the animated content before, and now you're like, oh, I love Ahsoka, well, you need to watch this. Because the story of Ahsoka in Clone Wars, you really do get to see her grow up in every stage of her life. Um, And this Padawan Lost Ark is pivotal. And it explains why she acts the way she does in Rebels and Mandalorian. And how we're going to see her act in her own show. Because she is no longer a Jedi. And I think some people forget that because they didn't watch the show. But um, when, the, when this all this mess was over, the council asked her to return to the Jedi Order, but she would turn down the offer and leave 
betrayed by the only family she'd ever known, and left to leave the only home she'd ever had with only the clothes on her back. I know, we got sad. In 19 BBY, Separatist forces had gained access to the hyperspace lanes that led straight to Coruscant, and General Grievous and Count Dooku led the attack, capturing, in quotes, Palpatine as a trial of sorts for Anakin Skywalker, who had betrayed the Jedi Code by killing Dooku whilst he was unarmed. Grievous flees, like he usually does, and hides out on Utapau, leaving Obi-Wan Kenobi to find him whilst back on Coruscant. Uh... The High Council was beginning to see through the darkness that Palpatine used to cloud their vision. And they even asked Anakin Skywalker to spy on his best friend the Chancellor even after he'd been groomed by him for the majority of his life. With the Clone Wars nearing its conclusion, Chancellor Palpatine revealed his secret identity as the Dark Lord of the Sith to Skywalker, and acting on which he actually reports. Good job, Anakin. Um, and acting on that report, Jedi Masters Mace Windu, Kit Fistu, Sacy Tin, and Aegon Kolar tried to arrest Sidious, uh, and the ensuing lightsaber duel resulted in the deaths of Kolar, Tin, and Fisto. Although Sidious was disarmed by Windu, he succeeded in killing the Jedi Order's champion due to interference of Skywalker, who believed the Chancellor's claims of possessing the power to save others from death. And, and Windu survived this? Um, look up the concept art for it. It's amazing. As a consequence, Skywalker pronounced the Jedi Order and assumed the mantle of a Sith as Darth Vader, then executing Order 66 and having, or what he thought was all of the clone troopers, turn on the Jedi, killing almost all of them. For reference, Kanan Jarrus in Rebels said that there were 10,000 active Jedi at the time of the Republic's fall, so that's a lot of Jedi. After Order 66, Sidious appoints himself as Emperor, as you do. And that's when um, Padme says her famous line, So this is how the Republic falls, with thunderous applause. After Palpatine's ascension to power, changes came even quicker to Coruscant, formerly renamed as Imperial Center, and the Galactic City to Galactic and from Galactic City to Imperial City. The Jedi Temple and its surrounding serene complex became the home of the new Emperor. While the spires of the temple remained in place, the rest of the structure was heavily remodeled and expanded with sloping facades and block-like additions, which is pretty imperial. The entire area was known as the Federal District, with the Imperial Palace forming one point on the so-called Supreme Triangle. The other two points were the Byzantine Comfrar Acrology, which contained the headquarters of the Imperial Security Bureau, the ISB, and the new Naval Intelligence Agency headquarters, a near windowless complex which formerly housed the Republic's strategic center. The cityscape of Coruscant changed as well. Buildings were stripped of their elegant Republic dressings in favor of sleek lines and block-like surfaces, and many smaller buildings became engulfed into larger ones. Some areas changed so quickly that they were not recognizable to those who had seen them only a few years before. So, I think it's safe to say that Palpatine likes urban planning. Um, <laughs> the Empire, like many people who get famous on the internet, are racist and xenophobic, leading to many populations on Coruscant being relocated and disappeared, like the Mon Calamari who led a revolt in the old market sector. The Alderani population of Coruscant also led a revolt after hearing the news that the Empire had destroyed their homeworld, which was put down by police who would then go door to door taking any Alderani they found, quote, in for questioning, which we know is not in for questioning. Freaking stormtroopers, man. After the Battle of Endor, 
When the citizens got word that the emperor and Vader were dead, the citizens of Coruscant rejoiced, pulling down statues of Palpatine, overwhelming the stormtroopers on the streets, and setting off chimes and fireworks. Police forces on speeders quickly entered the plazas and opened fire on the crowds without warning, killing many who were present. Coruscant then erupted into full-scale rioting. Blaster fire and fighting soon erupted across the capital between Coruscanti and the Imperial Security Forces. In the ensuing months, the New Republic was formed and re-established the Galactic, Senten- Galactic Senate on Chandrilla. And, but meanwhile, Coruscant dissolved into a true state of civil war, with some sectors entrenching themselves with rebel resistance fighters, while other sectors actively fought against their neighbors and supported the Imperial forces. As the Empire fractured all over the galaxy, Grand Vizier Masameda took control of Imperial forces on Coruscant and the Coruscanti government, which didn't really go well for him. Uh, his power was rapidly slipping away from him, and not even ISB could help him take it back. Amida, in disrepair and desperation, sought to turn himself over to the New Republic Chancellor Mon Mothma and Princess Leia Organa. However, they refused to take him prisoner, instead insisting that he find a way to capitulate the Empire and sign a full surrender. After the Battle of Jakku, which was considered the final battle of the Galactic Civil War, the signing of the Imperial Instruments of Surrender and the Galactic Concordance on Chandrilla, uh, the Empire surrendered to the New Republic and ceded Coruscant over to the fledging Galactic Government, with Masameda being permitted to form a provisional government on Coruscant along with Republic observers to ensure that it remained powerless under a figure-headed ruler. Following the Imperial surrender, weeks of celebrations took place in the streets and rooftops of Coruscant. As as the population celebrated the end of imperial rule. The times of the New Republic were politically tumultuous as they tried to fix the abuses and negligence of the Old Republic in aid systems that were obliterated by the Empire. There was a major emphasis for all worlds in the Republic to have an actual equal say, unlike the Old Republic's treatment of corporations, like the Trade Federation, as their own representative body, and wanted to move its center from its historic Coruscant to a different planet. It started on Chandrilla. Coruscant did end up joining the Republic as part of the Centrist Coalition, which lobbied for centralized rule akin to the system that defined the Old Empire, Unlike their anti-party, the populists who sought to limit the galactic government's involvement in the affairs of its constituent world. An example of a populist would be Leia Organa. Chandrilla may be where the New Republic set up shop, but its, casu- its capital gradually shifted to Hosnian Prime. The Senate failed to elect a first senator, a position to replace the Chancellor as a more problem-solving neutral body to maintain order in the Senate. Populist Princess Leia Organa of Alderaan almost won this position until the truth of her parentage was revealed to the Senate. Read, blood, read bloodlines. Um, it's at this point when the centrists seceded, seceded from the New Republic and formed the Forced Order. You know, you know, the, 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 the one with the Kylo, with the Kylo. Uh, uh, back on Coruscant, uh, by 34 AVY, the entire planet had fallen victim to the syndicates, where gang conflicts were at an all-time high as they fought for what was once the most glistening parts of the planet. Instead of representing opportunity and diversity, Coruscant became a mirror for the rest of the world, reflecting the problems the entire galaxy was facing instead of gilding over it like the older public did. The Coruscant tourism industry completely collapsed, and to remain protected on the planet, 
One needed to be incredibly wealthy in order to afford proper security. In 35 ABY, Corazon began an open rebellion against the First Order and their oppression. Let's talk a little bit about the inhabitants of Coruscant, which consists of literally thousands of different species. Trillions of beings resided on this planet, and humans made up about 68% of that population. As for the center of galactic power, senators and delegates of every represented planet had a residence on Coruscant where they would spend their days working or hosting political parties and gatherings or meetings, and many of the communities that were not human resided in the lower levels of the city. With the formation of the Empire, even the humans whose home planets had fallen out of favor with the Imperial government, such as Alderaan, as we talked about before, were forced into enclaves in the underworld. On the surface levels of Coruscant, skyscrapers served as homes and businesses for the wealthy, powerful, and politically connected. The influential and wealthy of Coruscant thrived in lavish lifestyles, attending meetings and social gatherings in high-rise apartments, dining in fine restaurants overlooking the city, partying in the entertainment districts, and viewing large-scale shows in theaters and opera houses. Even as the Republic decayed, the Clone Wars was raging on, and the average citizen became disenfranchised while the wealthy Coruscanti continued their lavish lifestyle. They were ferried by private speeder or an air taxi from one tower to the next or to various theaters, clubs, operas, and other entertainment areas of Coruscant. Some journeyed to the surface street levels or to Coruscant's surface parks to conduct clandestine meetings or to mingle in the crowds of people that streamed through the walkways of the residential and commercial areas. Underneath that gilded surface, however, is the working population of Coruscant, who lived a very different life to the wealthy. Working-class families that lived closer to the surface lived a more easy life, while underneath those initial surface levels lay the underworld, which was used to describe the thousands of levels, as well as the criminal population. The underworld was home to millions of people, who rarely, if ever in their lifetime, saw any form of sunlight or even the surface of the planet. Let's move on to some of the important locations for our last roundabout. Uh, we're going to start with Coco Town, aka the Collective Commerce District or the Coco District, which was a dilapidated working area home to hardworking laborers and is honestly more well kept than some other places on Coruscant. As the transportation ways, roadways, speeder lanes, shuttle ports were all well maintained due to its location on the surface of the planet. And one of these well-kept and maintained roads was where Dex's diner was located, which I went into detail about about two episodes ago when I covered the planet of Ojam and the Besselisk species, Besselisk species, and did a deep dive on Dex and uh, um, um, Pongrel. Um, <laughs> following the Battle of Endor, Coco Town became the epicenter. Oh my God! My entire document just went all the way up. Sorry. Following the Battle of Endor, Coco Town became the epicenter for rebel fighting following the death of the Emperor. The fighting saw the formation of the so-called Ankle Biter Brigade, a group of youths familiar with the underground maintenance systems who would use them to sneak behind Imperial lines and disrupt their abilities to fight. We love guerrilla warfare. Um, next up, we have the Grand Republic Medical Facility, a grand tower built in theory to care for wounded Republic soldiers during the Clone Wars. The tower was heavily protected with around-the-clock guardsmen, shields, and an independent power supply, and was built out of an armored durasteel so it could withstand a siege. The facility provided treatment to patients from all over the galaxy and boasted about their cutting-edge techniques in surgery and biomechanical reconstruction. Keep that in mind 
Uh, Palpatine began to use this facility at the end of the Clone Wars to house his Sith holocrons and artifacts, not to mention a meditation center at the bottom of the tower, protected by his Red Guard. This is where, in Season 6 of Clone Wars, Vibes was brought when his, quote, chip was malfunctioning, quote, end quote, which just seems like an excuse for Palpatine to get all that real built-up stress out of him on the way, because, like, he's just, he's just Griffin gloating the whole time. And then frames my baby fives, which makes me real sad, and I can't watch that arc without crying. This is also the facility where Sidious brings crispy chicken sandwich Vader to turn into Vader Vader in episode 3 Revenge of the Sith, and he does his melodramatic no, which his son did better. Um, hey, if you're, you're, if you're still here, just wow. I know this is, I know this is a long one, um, but just be warned, um, <laughs> I've broken out a list of transitional words. This is gonna go real downhill if it hasn't already. Uh, additionally, <laughs> we have the Imperial Palace, which was once the Jedi Temple because after all the Jedi swear a few were killed, Palpatine sat down with himself and really truly asked his psyche, how can I be an even pettier bitch? To which his psyche replied, steal our house and desecrate it with your presence. And he said, yes, now I have unlimited power. <laughs> Can you tell I recently rewatched Revenge of the Sith? No? Okay. Built on a plane of low-lying urban blocks, the Jedi Temple was easily recognizable on the Coruscant cityscape with its distinctive five spires. Part school and part monastery, the temple was the hub of all Jedi activity throughout the galaxy, and in one of the spires, the tallest one in, in the middle, sat the Jedi High Council, led by the Grand Master of the Order, who directed the actions of the Jedi and served as advisors to the Senate and the Chancellor. The temple held a large lobby and chambers with statues of famous Jedi, and also contained numerous facilities including hangar bays for starships and speeders, utilized by the Jedi, sleeping and living quarters, rooms for meetings and instructions, a medical facility, prison cells, communications and security stations, as well as like a literal like six levels of ocean or something like that for its more aquatic Jedi. The temple also held the famous Jedi Archives, which stored the largest collection of information in the galaxy as well as a vault containing the valuable holocrons, containing the Order's Force knowledge and secrets. That's all fun and games until Anakin Skywalker turns to the dark side and then genocides everyone in the temple. Not just the men, but the women and the children too, because yes, this is a genocide. And not just a funny ha-ha joke to some white racist bigoted man on the internet who thinks that it is the only good, the only thing that made the Obi-Wan Kenobi show valid. Child murder is child murder, and personally, I would have been okay not seeing any of that, especially since that specific episode aired a literal week after a major school shooting in the United States, but who am I to have an opinion? I'm just a woman. On that note, I would like to tell all of you, breaking back into the real world for a, a quick minute, to go and educate yourselves about the situation happening in Iran right now and how the morality police are murdering women and children and men over right-wing fundamentalist religious beliefs that are no longer suited to a modern world. I stand with Iranian women and their plight for freedom for their basic human rights to live without fear of being killed in the streets because someone doesn't like what they're wearing or the way they're wearing their hijab if they choose to wear one. Follow Iranians on social media and share their videos because the internet connection has their internet connection has been severed and more people are going to die if we don't do something. Inform other people in your lives and share their struggles and their plight in the absence of their voices on social media right now. Make sure you take the time to support the women of this world who want to be as free as women in America or Europe get to be. 
for the good of them and their families so that their children get to grow up free as well. We're going to transition back to the show, but please, please educate yourself and others to help the women in Iran and other hyper-fundamentalist countries gain the freedom that they are entitled to as human beings. This isn't a matter of religion. This is a matter of basic human rights. After the war, uh, Palpatine turned the temple into the Imperial Palace, using it as his new home. The temple's spires remained intact, though the rest of the temple was heavily remodeled and expanded. The hallways were stripped of all statues and Republic-era ornaments. Where they had once been quiet and solemn, they became filled with busy government workers and functionaries. A large landing courtyard allowed for shuttles and starships to land. The entire palace complex was watched over by the red-robed Imperial Royal Guard. And the center spire was converted into the Emperor's throne room, with a 10-meter-tall podium in the center accessible by the Emperor from his residence via a private turbo lift. The structure remained standing uncorrosoned throughout the Emperor's reign. Apart from this, we have the Imperial Inspectorate HQ. Originally the Republic Center for Military Operations, it served as the Imperial Military Headquarters of the Inspectorate as well as the Naval Intelligence Agency. During the Empire's reign, this facility was built in close proximity to staging areas for Star Destroyers and was originally designed by Orson Krennic, our favorite white cape douchebag. The base was protected by shock troopers uh, of the Coruscant Guard. Inside was a military prison. The cells had two options for entering. The first was a sliding key card, and the second was pressing a button on each side of the cell, because how Star Wars is that? The cells had ray-shielded doors to make sure prisoners didn't escape. And inside the cell was a bed and bowls for water and food. Another area in the prison was a medium circular room with a fairly large computer for scanning people before they entered the base, a crate for weapons and communications devices, and a red button to start the red alert sequence. This facility held, had held prisoners like Paco the Lesser, Warm Loathsome, Wat Tambor, Leda Termond, and almost Ahsoka Tana during the Padawan Lost Ark. In addition, we have the Senate building, located within the heart of the dense federal district. Delegates would meet here during sessions of Congress to discuss legislations and galactic policy. The structure's recognizable dome was two kilometers in diameter, and the rotunda's chamber could seat over a thousand senators. Each senatorial delegation had their own hover platform, which they could detach from the walls of the chamber to float through the cavernous hall to be recognized by the senate chair to debate. In the center of the senate chamber was the chancellor's podium. Seated in it would be the supreme chancellor and his vice chair. I say him because I'm thinking Palpatine, but it's their vice chair, sorry, who would lead sessions of congress. This is where Palpatine and Yoder have an epic lightsaber battle where I realized that Palpatine he's really he's just a real skinny legend job of the hut. Directly adjacent to the Senate building was the Senate office building. The executive building had docking bays wrap, wrapped around it, allowing senators to land their private shuttles and walk inside. The building contained mostly of offices and meeting rooms for members of the Senate, but also held the offices used on a day-to-day -day basis by the Supreme Chancellor. During Palpatine's term, his office was decorated with red floors and walls, as well as several statues, totally not telling, and a lobby led to the Chancellor's public office, which contained a grand desk and a large window, and to the side was his super-secret private office, where he would be Sidious. Moreover, we have the underworld, where we talked, which we talked about before. Known for its crime and smugglers, the underworld was a massive city beneath a city, with hundreds of levels built atop one another. 
wow, Wikipedia. On each level, dwellings and smaller buildings are squeezed in between massive towers and infrastructure that surface the upper levels. Because everything is for the upper levels, right? Everything on Coruscant is built for the rich people. The streets and alleyways were narrow, and large sections contained massive buildings and warehouses, largely abandoned. Sunlight almost never reached the lower levels, which had to be artificially lit. The population was able to move from one area to another via trains that ran below and above the planet's surface. Well, and while air speeders were used, they were a less common sight than on the surface levels, which if we look back to Clone Wars Season 7, acts as just an extra level of depth given to Ahsoka, who crashed her speeder bike, which is not very common, onto a platform in the underworld which made her stand out a lot. Not more than her glorious jumpsuit, but enough to emphasize the differences between her and the Martez sisters on a more minute scale. The underworld, containing a vast population of the poor and criminal, was dark and violent. Those who wanted to disappear to hide from the authorities or to conduct illegal transactions could blend in despite the presence of camdroids and other monitoring technology. Patrolled by the Underworld Police Division of the Coruscant Security Force, the underworld was where large populations of species not loyal to the Emperor were relocated to after the formation of the Empire. Uprisings and riots became common, with stormtroopers frequently called in to assist the Coruscant cops in putting down any dissent with ruthless violence. Furthermore, <laughs> we have the Uskaru District. Uskaru. Coruscant's entertainment districts that catered to everyone from the wealthy and powerful to the secretive and criminal. The upper sections of the Uskaru District reached to the upper levels of the city, where the galaxy's opera house was located. You know, where Anakin learned the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise, it's just not a story the Jedi would tell. Further down in the lower levels of the Uskaru Entertainment District was a variety of establishments, most notably the Outlander Club. The club was situated in a less developed area of the district and did not garner as much attention from the police, a fact that worked in their favor. Its labyrinth of bars, gambling rooms, and sleeping quarters allowed for a wide variety of visitors and entertainment. In the center was a large bar, usually crowded, that catered to all parts of Coruscant society. This is where Sam Wessel, the changeling bounty hunter, was hiding out after failing to assassinate Senator Padme Amidala of Naboo. No transition word yet, <laughs> but uh, we are changing tracks a little bit. It, it was forbidden to travel to any level belief level 5, so those levels 1 through 4 are known as the forbidden levels. It wasn't illegal, but my best guess is that there was some kind of factory or energy conversions set up or energy barrier or something that took up those levels or maybe it was now way too hot for people to live there because it was way too close to the planet to the planet core besides all of those other places we also have the works our final destination on Coruscant the works was once a great manufacturing district, recognized as a major source of production for spacecraft parts, construction droids, and building materials. However, centuries prior to the Clone Wars, increasingly high costs on Coruscant prompted most manufacturers to ship their operations to off-planet facilities. Afterwards, the works mainly consisted of long-abandoned buildings and empty warehouses, many of which were appropriated by criminals with large areas rendered uninhabitable by toxic waste. Because of this, the derelict hangar in the neglected industrial zone was the site of clandestine meetings between Darth Sidious and Darth Tyrannus during the Clone Wars. And with that, sorry for the burp, we are done. Whew. is everything I have for you on Coruscant and canon because Legends would have made this take two more freaking hours and ain't nobody got time for that. 
I hope you enjoyed your journey this week and your stay so far aboard the Vindicator. If you have any questions or concerns about your stay, feel free to ring it up with one of our personnel on board via a private message or a DM. Perhaps on our TikTok accounts at Shadow Collective Rules with a Z or Unidentified Robot. Or maybe our Instagram at pmichael.pics. Or perhaps with a review of our show, which I highly recommend. All of those usernames and their respective platforms will be listed in the show notes. Next time, we will be journeying, journeying to Inzoth and whatever core worlds I can cover in an hour and a half or less. Until next time, my friends, companions, and droids, may the Force be with you all. Thank you.